Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Taking you behind the curtain. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Everyone um, who listens to the show knows I love stories. And when journalist Tim Summer wrote a really interesting story recently in the New York Times talking about the 70s and the first generation of punk and alternative bands. And we're talking about kids. So it was really interesting. My kids missed this. They were sort of too young. But a really good story. And congratulations. I heard you have a book out. I Want to Be With You, The Inside Story of Hootie and Blowfish, your first book. That's right. Thank you so much. That's really exciting. And so, thank you so much for having me on today. No, a pleasure. So tell me, um, you've been involved with music, sort of everything New York, but since you yourself were a kid and involved in this, what brought you back to 77 and punk and alternative music? That's an excellent question because... You know, it's easy to say that people like you and I are nostalgic for those times. And nostalgia is a funny word because nostalgia is 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 un- inseparable from our memories. And the fact is, I'll tell you something about New York City. If you are 22 years old, if you are 17 years old, if you're 18 years old, whenever you are 18, whenever you are 20 years old, whenever you are 16, for every 16-year-old, their New York City, when they're 16, is always going to be their New York City. That's always going to be the best New York City. You talk to any 18-year-old on the planet, any 20-year-old on the planet, they will tell you that when they were 20, that was when New York City was the best. Now, so I refuse to go into nostalgia, but I will say what was appealing to me in terms of deciding to write about this time, and it's a time when I was 15, 16, 17 years old, what was appealing to me was how extraordinarily different a time it was. It was remarkably different. I was telling my editor at the New York Times, I was saying to them, you know, talking about the 1970s in New York, talking about this era when 15, 14, 13-year-olds were running around to clubs, could stay out all night without needing to be in touch with their parents, without being connected to devices, it's a time that's as long ago as the era of vaudeville. It's really, the, the 1920s have more in common with the 1970s than the 1970s have in common with today. Wouldn't you agree? Without question. Without question. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
But it was interesting because my kids sort of miss that. You know, they, they, this didn't exist for right. them. But I was amazed at reading this and the music world. And these were kids coming out of high school, all the high schools, private schools in Stuyvesant, all over the city. And you That's say, exactly right. right, these kids, some were dropouts, some were runaways, some came in from the burbs. But they were kids. They were almost all under 18 years old and obsessed with music. Well, I'll tell you two things about that, Joan. First of all, if you remember back to when you were 15 years old, you didn't feel like a child, did you? No, you felt like a fully formed adult. So these were kids who, there was nothing about the world back then that told them they couldn't function as adults. I was saying to someone, you know, you could say, in 1977, you could say to your parents, I'm going to go sleep over at Mike's. I'm going to do some studying. I'm going to sleep over. I'll go to school from there. And your parents would say, oh, okay, we'll, we'll, see you, we'll see you later. And then you could run out into the city. You could run out into the subways. You could run out to the streets. You could run out to clubs. You could do whatever you're, you want. And as far as your parents knew, you were studying at your friend Mike's house. Right. And maybe Mike lived on... Uh, Maybe Mike lived on Park in 91st. So your parents thought you were in Mike's, Mike's, apartment, Mike's parents' apartment on Park in 91st studying, when in fact you were running out. First you went to a, to a diner for dinner, then you went to Max's Kansas City until 2 a.m., then you went to another party, then you went to another party, then maybe you met up with someone, and you went home with someone, a boy or a girl, and then you woke up in the morning, and at 6.30, well, you didn't wake up, you hadn't gone to sleep yet. At 6.30 in the morning, you're walking through Washington Square Park, and the sun is rising, and then you go straight to school. And your parents think you've been at your friend Mike's on 91st and Park the whole time. That's one thing I wanted to write about. The other thing I wanted to write about was the fact that, again, when you're 16 years old, people who are 25, 26, 27 years old, that seems like an impossibly older age. It's, it's, it's an entirely different generation. Now, as we get older, the difference between 20 and 28 or 15 and 28 doesn't seem that much. But when you're 16 years old, 28 years old, people who are 28 seem like these older generation. So these people thought of the first generation of punk rock people, the Ramones, Blondie, Talking Heads, Television, they thought of them as a different generation, as the elders of the scene, and they thought, okay, punk rock is about taking charge of your own life and your own creativity. Now it's time for us to do something for ourselves. I have a wonderful quote in the article from a, a, a musician who was a teenager at the time named Bill Arning, and Bill says... Punk rock taught us to make our own band. We never thought there was anything else we were supposed to do. Of course we were supposed to do it for ourselves. That's what punk rock taught us. And the parents still weren't involved, right? No, hardly. I mean, I'd say that once the bands, if you were in a band, like, say, the Speedies, who were playing the clubs all the time, yeah, if you're playing, it's one thing if you're running around seeing the bands, but once you're on the level of actually being a creator, actually performing in these nightclubs, needing to buy instruments, needing to find a place to rehearse, then the parents become involved. And I think, by and large, 
the parents of these musicians were extremely supportive. Now, as for the people who were attending the concerts, the young people going to the shows, um, I'm not. They may have been supportive. They may have not been aware at all. Um, in the piece, I, sp- I spoke to someone named Eli Addy, who has uh, now become a major television producer. He started going to Max's Kansas City, Joan, when he was 11 years old. Hard to believe. And they serve these kids, too. Yeah, that's right. And at first, his parents took him. His parents thought, this will be an interesting experience for my kid. So they took him. But later on, uh, when Eli was just 12 or 13, he would wait till his parents went to sleep. They lived on like 17th Street and 3rd Avenue, not very far from Max's at all. He would wait till his parents fell asleep, and then he would sneak out of the house and go to Max's and come back before they'd ever woken up. Mm. Isn't it amazing that that kids could do that in those days? Yes. I think it's arguable, and it'd be interesting to know what you think of this, that when you could go off on your own like that, create your own environment, create your own world, that maybe that was more conducive to self-invention that was more conducive to creativity uh it was more conducive to taking charge of your own life uh some people would say that Mm. but you point out that at this time in the world of music and when you're looking back the artists who participated the people who were members of the audience their lives changed forever that's right I think people were very, very inspired by seeing people their age taking control of their creativity. And it I was there. I didn't include myself in the article because that's not the way you function with the New York Times. But in fact, I was 15 years old when I saw the Speedies, who are a band that I talk about in this piece. I was 15 years old when I saw the Speedies for the first time. And... It changed everything for me. Until then, rock bands were something that played on distant stages. I used to see the bands that I loved at the Palladium, or I used to see them at Woolman Rink, uh, you remember, which was a place in Central Park that had concerts. And these bands were far away on distant stages. Now, here were people my age that I could reach out and touch, and they were playing wonderful, strange, complicated, catchy music. And they were right in my face, wearing amazing clothes, making amazing artistic statements, making amazing fashion statements. And they were the same age as me. And it gave me a feeling, and the reason I'm talking in the first person is, this feeling was shared by many, many young people who were attending these shows. It gave me the feeling that I could claim ownership of part of New York City's culture. I could do it too. If As these a kid. kids were that's right. If these kids in front of me were doing it, well, I could do it too. That's why you know, when I was sixteen years old, I walked into the uh office of my favorite rock magazine at the time which was Trouser Press Magazine, and it was located, the office was located at 42nd and Broadway, right in the heart of Times Square in the middle of the 1970s. And when I was 15 years old, I walked into that office and I said, hey, you guys need an office boy. And I think that's something, 
that was common to a lot of the people in this story. We all felt we could take ownership of our future. We all felt that New York City was this blossoming flower, this glittering prize, which we could take part in. Could that happen today? It would be unfair of me to say it couldn't, but I think there was something about the accessibility and the inability of parents to track us, track their children 24-7, that maybe gave us all a little bit of nerve. That sounds very realistic. But then, as you started growing up, how did all this influence you? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I think largely because of my own personal experience as a, as a witness. I was never in a band at that time. I was in bands later, but not, not at this time. As a witness to this scene, it made me feel that I could participate, that I didn't have to just be a watcher. I think that's the main thing it did, Joan. It made me feel, and I think... A lot of the people I talked to in the article, including authors like Jonathan Latham and Laura Albert and television producers like Eli Addy and Internet pioneers like Eric Hoffert and artists like Gregory Crudson, all of whom were participants in that scene, they'll tell you the same thing. Tim, it made me feel that I could participate, right, was, that I didn't have to just watch. Oh, I could also create. You own some of it. That's when right. you went to interview some of this generation, you know, now totally grown up, most of them doing things that are not really related, were you surprised at what you found this group doing? That's a good question. Um, no. No, I didn't. Because I felt, you know... Let's say that the original punk rock movement in New York, the thing that happened between 1974 and 1976, the movement that you read about, that you hear about, that you see in movies, the movement typified by the Ramones or the Talking Heads or television or the Dead Boys or the, those bands, that was a movement that we watched. And because we watched it, well, that was exciting, but it didn't invite us necessarily to say you know, now it's going to belong to you. We were, we, were, we were witnesses. This scene, this scene, which was for teenagers, by teenagers, but set in the exact same adult milieu as the other scene, this scene invited us to participate. And everyone I spoke to, literally, every single person I interviewed for this piece, and I probably interviewed about... 12 or 15 people. Every single person said the same thing. This gave me the nerve not only to be creative, 
but it gave me the nerve to invent my own future, to self-define in a way that I might not have felt if I hadn't been part of this amazing creative teenage venture. Um, what's so interesting about it, which I touched on in the piece, is it nothing... These clubs, specifically CBGBs in Max's Kansas City, though other clubs like the Mug Club and Hurrah, those also took part. These clubs almost never kept someone out because they were underage, despite the fact that they served alcohol. That's something that would be impossible today for legal reasons, for all sorts of reasons. Clubs wouldn't want the responsibility. Clubs would be afraid of getting sued. Nothing like that existed in 1978. Um... I think there was something about us, or I won't say us, I'll say the participants in this scene, the teenagers between the ages of 13 and 17, 18 who participated in this scene. There was something about being allowed to exist and function within an adult milieu that was very empowering. And I think that's something that's probably doesn't quite exist now. There's not something where you're 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 encouraged to work and play alongside adults and be treated as an adult. Now, there are many downsides to this. I deal with that in the article as well. The atmosphere for for drug abuse, sexual abuse is rife, but by and large, the positive effects that these people spoke about outweighed the negative effects. So if you were doing this and looking at the music scene today, is there a huge teen influence or is this something totally different? Well, teenagers are always going to be the, the consumer. The music industry is always going to be driven by, by teenagers as consumers. Um, is teenage participation, I think, well... That's an interesting thing. There have always been and continue to be artists who are teenagers, but they're not necessarily people who are writing their own songs and producing their own music and arranging their own music. What was fascinating about all these bands, Joan, is that these people were writing their own music, arranging their own music, producing their own music, rehearsing their own music. This was a self-contained teenage music industry. And that, that, doesn't exist today and is unprecedented. Um, I'm curious. I want to ask you a question, if you don't mind, Joan. Do you think there are comparables to this sort of thing at different times in New York City? Meaning, in the 1950s or 60s, were there scenes where people under 18 were treated as equals? Uh, I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head. But let's say, would a teenager in 1965 have been able to walk into Sardi's or, 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 you know, you know, or, um, 21 and been treated as an adult and been able to, uh, be encouraged to be a creative and active part of that scene. I do not really recall that happening. You know, when I would go to music things, my parents generally would go or take me. Right. 
it was it was a totally different thing. But I grew up in a small town, and um, that music thing did not exist, at least to the best of my knowledge. Right. Well, that's what's so fascinating about this specific time. And I will say, it's something that didn't exist in 1975, and it's something that didn't exist in 1985. It is specific to this time period, which is why I wanted to write about it, specifically this era in the New York Times, why I was able to convince the New York Times to let me write about it. This scene that was completely creatively independent by teenagers, for teenagers, within an adult milieu. I'll say again, there are many pop stars in the years since and now who are under the age of 18. But they're not functioning as a self-contained industry. Even they're not writing all their own music and playing their own music and rehearsing it on their own, setting up their own rehearsal spaces. And just to be able to get out of high school, have this thing to look forward to that belonged to you, it was really a magical, magical moment in New York City time. Yeah, and all these times are different, but we're lucky we have you to take a look and bring it to all of us. Congratulations again on your new book. I thank you very much for a fascinating look at what went on in New York. And you say the year was 1977. And what happened to those people who were so involved, kids? And what impact did that have on their growing up? All the best to you. It was a micro scene, but it was an extraordinary, self-contained moment in teenage New York City time. It really was amazing. Yeah, fascinating look. Thanks so much. I'm Joan Hamburg. Pleasure. And you're listening to WABC. More ahead.